supposed to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm with Malcolm Summer Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello, people. Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans will be joining us in a moment. We're going to be talking all things The Nest, which premiered at the British Film Festival last year and is in cinemas now. However, for the moment, we are talking news of the week, which is, of course, the Snyder Cut. Who's excited for the Snyder Cut of Justice League? No, just just no. Just, yeah, I don't, I don't know why this is important. I don't know who asked for it. I don't know why we're doing it. And that's our coverage of the new Zack Snyder film. Uh, if you want us to cover it in future... We can. We covered it on release initially, but uh, we'll see down the track if there's a clamoring for it. Um, the, the other big news of the week is the face-off, uh, not remake, sequel. It's going to be a face-off sequel, yeah, which I'm, we I'm, are excited to cover, in I'm fact. Gl- I'm glad that was clarified because, you know, I don't want the fa- original face-off to be remade ever. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be remade. There's no cause for it. It's fantastic as is. And but a sequel about Carsten and Pollux Troy, not necessarily about Pollux Troy. Sorry, minor spoiler for a twenty-five-year-old film there. Castor Troy, right? Castor Troy and Pollux Troy was uh, Alessandro Nivola, who later <laughs> won to disobedience fame. Yeah, getting deep into our face. So, you know that was set in the future. That's why everything was so futuristic. But John was like, "No, we have to set it contemporaneously." So maybe we'll have caught up at this time. I believe there are all these floating prisons where people have metal boots for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense now. Nothing that. Not that Face Off made any sense any, anywhere to begin with, but yeah. No, but Face Off, what do you mean Face Off made, face off made perfect sense? They took his face <laughs> off. <laughs> his face off. That's all you ever need to know about Face Off. I wonder the, what sequels are going to be about, though. Is it going to be like everyone's having face transplant technology now? Is, you know, you know, just for everyone that people can use and... Who are we? A greater existential question that we'll be talking about um, with you know, a, a much it, better film. No, 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 The Face like, Off is a great film. Yeah, is it just like Vanilla Sky, which people can just, you know... Um, well, don't ruin Vanilla Sky, Virat. Don't ruin... Even, <laughs> even though you shouldn't see Vanilla Sky, don't ruin Vanilla Sky. I mean, go look at our Facebook review now. Cage Macro Cage Couple is back. A lot of fun. And welcome, Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey, guys. I, uh, I I've just in- encountered the the problems with cryptocurrency and uh, there are no problems with cryptocurrency. What are you lot. talking about? There are a lot, and uh, they're they're a good way to take over your brain and make you late for things. Yeah. But, but hi everyone. But cryptocurrency is much like nested currency. You know, it's a nest of. Oh, you mean that it's it's all like a hollow, uh, hollowed capitalist dreams like the nest? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I. The dreams are much more real in the nest. It felt comforting. I'm actually really excited to talk about this film. I, I'm always excited to talk about movies, but more about this film than I have yeah. many other films as of late. This film is cinema. Yeah. So before we get into the nest, talking about some of the news of the week, the Japanese Film Festival is screening currently at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. The Sydney Film Festival's final Wong Kar Wai retrospective screening it's happening tomorrow night at Dendy Newtown. Tickets probably sold. I think they have sold out, but still, there may be more that comes available. Queer Screen kicks off tomorrow night. Importantly, due to changes in social distancing restrictions, there are now more seats available than weren't previously available. So um, it was sold out, no longer sold out, which is great. Fresh Flicks is also happening, resuming tomorrow night. They had to postpone their November screening last year, but now they're happening tomorrow evening. The first Kino Sydney of the year is happening on the 23rd. Kino 153, you can get your flicks in. The Melbourne equivalent Philmonic is happening on the 24th. Uh, Moonlight Cinema, Westpac Open Air Cinema, and Sunset Cinema North Sydney are all continuing. Also starting tomorrow night, um, everywhere in Australia, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, Canberra, 
sorry, not Melbourne, excuse me, Melbourne will, open that was postponed, it'll happen the following night, is the Jewish International Film Festival. It's literally the first film festival I ever went to. I've gone every year. I've always had a lot of fun. And we're actually giving away, we have a double digital pass to give away uh, for Sydney and Melbourne. Or if you're in Sydney or Melbourne, it's screening at the Ritz and at Lido and Hawthorne. Um, just be the first to email win at 2SCR. That's W-I-N at 2SCR.com. I just put GIF, J-I-F-F, in the subject title email and to win you have to be a 2SER subscriber. Now, a few of the films are catching there. The Human Factor, which is about the Camp David Accords of 2000, when Hitler stole Pink Rabbit, uh, which is about a Jewish family fleeing Berlin during the Second World War. And The Sign Painter, which is about a Latvian man who falls for a Jewish woman in uh, 1930s, 40s Latvia. So those are my three picks, and those are the ones of a number of a few I'll be seeking out come the 18th. But yes, um, do email when it to SCR, and we can pick up a digital double pass. Um, in other non-festival-related news of the week, our favorite video store, we've had um, Ian from Film Club on during the week, and they had a big announcement oh, during the year, and they had a big announcement in that you can become a proprietor of Film Club uh, one of the most Sydney's most very uh, very historical most beloved video stores one of the only video stores remaining over in Darlinghurst and a place that's really aimed at film nerds you know yeah. it has a community of film lovers around it um, hopefully they'll find a proprietor and they can keep the film clubbing going on into the future if I was not a broke millennial I would have bought all, have... all those avocado toasts, you know, yeah. I, I knew you'd regret them one day, right? I tried yeah. to warn you. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, okay. Chris, Christopher and I have uh, pulled our money together and we're buying the Paul Verhoeven shelves. We're the proprietors of the Paul Verhoeven, Kubrick and half of the Bergman shelf. I, actually, yeah. that would be cool if you could just buy, yeah, 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 buy, <laughs> buy individual the shelves. shelves. <laughs> and then the crowdsource section. buying the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the shareholders of Film Club who together now own it. Hey, guess what the first film um, ever registered as a DVD at Film Club was? Face off. Not far. Not terribly far. Actually, it is a little bit far off. Batman, 89. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh. So, bit of news out there if you uh, want to support an amazing institution for the film world in and for Sydney, or generally. Um, Acme have reopened after a very well-timed year of renovations, as it were. And Yeah, <laughs> yeah Opera House, too. Well done. Um and they have a number of new installations, including a video on installation, which was uh, put together in part by someone who also we've had on the show, Connor Bateman, who's the co-founder of Static Vision. So when we are in Melbourne, we will be going en masse to check it out. But if you are in Melbourne at the moment, wait till Thursday um, pending. I, I should clarify, go check it out. I should clarify, we are pre-recording this. At the current moment, uh, we are un we understanding that the restrictions will lift as of midnight Wednesday, so 12 or 1 a.m. on Thursday. But in the time since we until we go to air, that may change. But at the time of recording, that is the current state of affairs. But following at least then, go to Acme, check them out. Um, also, the before we get into the nest, the other big film news of the week is that Minari. We covered Minari a couple of weeks ago following its premiere at the Sydney Film Festival. It's in cinemas from tomorrow. I think it's really great. It has a great Steinbeck Kess quality. While it is set in the 1980s, it certainly has a universal appeal. Um, we loved it a lot. I'd recommend it. It's a good film. Yeah. Stephen Newman uh, is going to be, I think, the next big thing. He's he's doing pretty well. Okay, already. I don't. I don't I'm so not sure. About... He's doing great. Like he, yeah. like, aside from he had that running running role in that show I've never seen, and he was in Burning. Yeah. So everyone loved him in Burning. Yeah, and apparently he's a great Glenn. So <laughs> the <laughs> one of the few great Glens. Oh, yeah, apparently one end correct spelling. So uh, the and that's also Lee Isaac Chun. It's speaking him next big things. But this week we are talking about the Nest following a premiere at the British Film Festival last year. 
It is the cinematic return from Martha Macy May Marlene director Sean Durkin. And it is, broadly speaking, about a family, the, the parents of whom are played by Jude Law and Carrie Coon. They're a wealthy family who live in America. And for the purposes of the husband's career and um, financial prospects, decide to relocate to his native England. Now, we've talked a bit about the story of this film, but in my opinion, this is actually a very difficult one to talk to in the sense that I, speaking too broadly about what genre it is, I would argue constitutes a spoiler because it's th- a family tragedy. We could say that much. Right? I feel I feel that's fair. But it f- takes a particular style of story and shoots it both from directing and cinematographic perspective in style of a very different type of film. It's very novel. And for this you spend a lot of time figuring out what is going on. And just for that reason, it is novel, it's original, and for I, I never felt at any point in this, except for a very few points in this film, that I knew where this was going. It was great for that reason. Early on, with some of the turns in the narrative, I felt like it was going a little bit obvious and predictable, but then it swerved. You know, it didn't pay off along the well-worn path that it seemed to be setting us up for. Um, it's okay to subvert expectations. Mm, it did. It's a slow-burn character drama. It's really um, about coming to terms with who the Jude Law character is or what what he's hiding. I think from the beginning of the film, it's clear that he is in some way dishonest or manipulative with how he deals with his family. And the rest of the film is about um, coming to terms with that. And yeah, it follows the family of Carrie Coon and Jude Law um, and their two children as they move um, from the US back to England where Jude Law came from and uh, his attempts at making it big at the firm where he returns as the prodigal son. Yeah, I mean, uh, I really like the idea of where it takes a prodigal son narrative, you know, something we talked about uh, in The Dry not too long ago and uh, does something it's so much better something oh, yeah. something actually interesting with it and something very fresh and new so i um, when i initially saw it back at the british film festival i really liked it and i was waiting for you guys to catch up to it and see it yeah, uh, sorry, i missed it last year this this is uh, i think this the biggest surprise of the festival season it's it's actually it was not surprising for me at all for <laughs> having seen martha marcy made my lean i've been waiting for this guy to make another film for like nine, nine years eight years um, it, that was such an impressive debut, and it took so long for a follow-up. I kept checking on his IMDb page every now and again, is he, is he doing something? And then I just forgot about it, and all of a sudden, here it is. And this has been met, actually, with a fairly mixed reception. But I'm, I, I'm very surprised. I Once think again. it's very strong. I think it's very strong. I think that when you don't play type or you can't neatly classify something within a genre, then it's easy to criticize. But It's um, also it, a bit of a cold narrative, which, hmm. you know, Maybe people had difficulty getting into it. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think I've seen a lot of, I mean, I've, I've seen, I read a lot of criticism on this and I think the negative reviews I've seen haven't, have said it doesn't play out um, in ways that are typically satisfying and that's okay. It's a good thing for a film to do. I agree. I don't think that the subversion of satisfying resolution was cheap. I felt, Absolutely th- not. I think it really played into understanding where the characters, especially where Carrie Coon is at. Um, what this film does very successfully, um, and which Martha Massimo Marlene also did. For my sins, I haven't seen this. I really have to catch up on it. Yeah, you guys will love it if you if you loved this one. But um, what they they both really successfully do, I think, is put you in the mind of an anxious person. So you're constantly dreading 
all the horrible things that could happen, all the ways the plot could turn. And it a lot of the, of the things you fear might happen never actually do, but it's not, it's not so much that the film is being cheap and tricking you as more or about placing you in that mind state of that fear uh, and that uncertainty. And it does this so well, at least at the outset, by making you feel as if either you're being watched or you are lurking on the outskirts of this and the camera slowly, gradually draws you into the narrative to the point that it feels suffocating in a good way. Kubrick zooms. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and a, a very Kubrickian mansion yeah, as we've, well. I mean, it's, it's so passe to talk about The Shining of Parents films, but really it draws a lot from that tradition and it does yeah. it well, more than vastly better than so many other mimickers, imitators. Yeah, it has a lot more of its own personality in the directing than something like The Killing of a Sacred Deer, which to me just felt like let's try and do The Shining does Dogtooth kind of thing yeah. or The Lobster. It's quite impressive to have such diverse and dynamic camera work without drawing attention to either the camera or making it clear that you're watching a film. I think this way Killing a Sacred Deer and Lanthimos more generally falters. Um, Durkin certainly did not. Mm. Yeah, and also I think uh, Jude Law's performance. Uh, it, it's As was surprising. Yeah. So, everyone was everyone was the supporting cast, even the yeah. child actors. Charlie brilliant. shot well, and we're talking about the kid from Nightingale and um, All the Money in the World, the young mm. Paul yeah, Getty yeah, Jr. Yeah. He was very good. He was, this is probably his best performance to date. I liked. No, I, I just mentioned Jude Law because I think he's been stereotyped and typecast into the kind of, you know, chocolatey rolls a bit, and people kind of forget that he's he has excellent. dramatic chops. He's always good. He, he has this similar kind of um, intensity that in this as in his performance in Vox Lux. Yeah. I th- Actually, I th- yeah. That's, I think that's a good comparison. Jude Law, I've been reflecting some of his performances watching this, and um, certainly there are very few actors on that level. There's not a lot of actors who get to choose roles, and certainly, um, talking about Jude Law, who's been a leading man for a long time, this certainly is a position, um, unfortunately, that... Um, many women, even prominent female actresses, find themselves in, in that they're forced to um, take certain roles. guy like Jude yeah. Law, young woman. But, but, but no, no, my point is that he, unlike a lot of male actors, a lot of, especially a lot of very macho leading men, mm. he is very deliberate in these film choices and that he ages with his roles. Um, we, we saw it, he, it's what, 30 years, 20 years ago to play Count Bronsky, but in Anna Karenina, he played, sorry, War and Peace, he played the older I was Aaron Henry, excuse me. I, I, talk, I was I totally confused. Um, but here he's he could have been playing a 20, 30-year-old character. But no, he chose to play a middle-aged mm-hmm. man who who obviously led a lifestyle which we typically associate with Jude Law-type characters. And now we start to see the fallibility that Jude Law leads into that as he leads into his age and experience in other roles. And um, as does Kuhn, I, as much as I'm praising Law here, I do think Kuhn is the stand-up performer here. They're all they're all fantastic. It's hard to say for me, but something that speaks to how great Law's performance is, as well as the writing, yeah. is that despite seeing so much despicable in him, I still empathized with him. Yeah. I felt sympathy. I, I think I think it's the casting masterstroke, right? And you you taking Law and the expectation of his kind of star turn that people expect from him, and you giving him something to do with that kind of because it's not only you know you see him on screen as Jude Law. So there is that kind of fallibility that he brings to the role as well. And people have that expectation of like, oh, he's going to do this, he's yeah, going to do Alfie, that. Alfie, what happened? Exactly. And, he, and he's going to be working on that for, I think, um, I think he's going to be, be very deliberate in the roles he chooses going for. He's obviously a very he's shrewd actor. He's fantastic roles yeah. these days. He's always been great. Um, you're listening to Film Fight Club on 2SCR with Glenn Fowling, Chris Evans and Bharat Nehru. Um, just on the broader thematic scope of this film, we... <sighs> 
this we, we talked about how this is a very much a film about England and America and clashing cultures, but uh, I don't think we have spoken about that. Well, so we we, much we, yet. we referenced that, I but should I, say. But uh, but you're right. That is something I'd like to talk about. Yeah, it's something that yeah. is very impressive in that it shows the clash not just between England, English ideals, and American ideals. Probably this is set in the 1980s. We haven't cl- clarified mm. that, but it does have a universal element to it. But it shows both the pitfalls and um, up and up and good things about American idealism, but also the pitfalls, but the more positive things about classical British idealism, mm. all in one film. And the choice of uh, setting it in America and then England is actually essential to the narrative. It's not just a, a plot device that they, they move yeah, somewhere. It, 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 it doesn't suddenly become a political film because they wanted to just, you know, shoehorn that mm. kind of commentary. In the, like the Rebecca adaptations that it, we talked about earlier in the year. But Absolutely. It very much is about the English class system versus the American dream. And to that is the very clever choice to set this in a very classical English manner. Mm. You look at shows like Downton Abbey, to a lot of people, you look at a manner and certainly people of a certain background and they think, wow, this is beautiful. But you look at most people, including a lot of people who go to films, myself included, and then see a house like this and they think, like the kids doing this, wow, eerie, this is Gothic. Gothic. And... The film is smart enough to recognize that both the grandeur and the horror inherent to its um, posi- the, uh, the positioning, its positioning in the narrative. I mean, it's easy to sell that idea that there are secrets hiding underneath. Uh, if you have that kind of a gothic setting and a manner, you know, it, mm. it just automatically lends itself to the idea that you don't have to play it too much, and, with, uh, with, and you just have that setting, and you just automatically believe that there must be something more going on. How did they get here? You know, how does one have the secret stores unopened? And et cetera, et cetera. the the film does start to draw in one loaded metaphorical image, you know, of buried secrets coming to the surface, of pain coming to the surface. Which about the horse? Yeah, but uh, Over, overdone. I one misspelling about this movie, but not too overdone compared to some of the heavy-handed symbolism we've been seeing these days. At least, it wasn't, like, a, at least it, it wasn't a deer. Bloody hell! I felt yeah, like it was more than Minari level overdone, but yeah, uh, yeah, no, it wasn't that overdone. <laughs> I felt like it was it was acceptable here. Yeah, and this is what I find even more interesting about it than that. There are bits in the narrative, uh, we'll get, we may as well talk about it now, where um, the dance scene, many conversations, including one of the taxi cab. What an incredible scene. I was going to bring that up, but uh, the, I, we can't give it away for you, but it, it's a, actually a very strange, dark but strangely moving scene regarding Jude Law's character. Yeah, I, l- I was about the taxi yeah. cab sequence. Um, and it has it's a beautiful conversation that plays out between two characters in a car, but and we've talked about it on the show, and certainly it's a bugbear in mind when it comes to film, where a director or a screenwriter situates a character in a story to push their point of view. Certainly this is the function of the taxi driver in the scene, but the scene plays out so well by virtue of the scripting and the acting and the direction that doesn't bother you, it doesn't concern you, and the scene has the integrity to work on multiple levels like the dancing scene does, which we're going to talk about in a few moments. I think Glenn is trying very hard to make bugbear into a popular term. I think after this episode, popular, popular in Film Fight Club, and popular uh, among our listeners. Bugbear is yeah. a great term. <laughs> the, the film bugbear. Hashtag bugbear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I loved it. And speaking of, uh, probably my favorite scene in the film. Um, I, I, I like that we've seen two great films this year, which have wonderful ecstatic dancing sequences mm. out of nowhere. Uh, this is handled held by Carrie Coon. She's awesome as she is in every sequence in the film. What a great soundtrack! You're reminding me of how excellent yeah. all the '80s 
dance pop picks throughout this hour. But you know, but you know what it's great about the song they play? It's a, it's one you'll recognize, and it's one that I hear whenever I walk down Oxford Street. And I thought I, I came on the first, I'm like, oh great, they're really going to the classic hits now. But no, I have renewed appreciation for the song yeah. by watching it. By watching it situated in a disco instead of just being cheesy pop yeah. thing you hear in ads, you get you get a sense of the life the song is meant to have. And you know what? Just now, I, I was actually talking about Chris about this a couple of weeks ago. I miss dancing so much amidst COVID. Mm. Just watching that scene made me feel, oh, I want to. I know I can't right now, but I want to get out there. Yeah, yeah. Me too, man. I've never seen you dancing. I feel like I yeah. feel like we need to go out one night and. Uh, <laughs> I want to dance gonna, with somebody. There's going to be another round level stuff yeah, of just yeah. epic level dancing. But this is what I loved about that scene is that it worked on the same level as the taxi scene where. The song, the lyrics, like in another round, mm. are telling us exactly where the character yeah. is, exactly what the director is going to want us to tell us. But you know what? It doesn't matter because it's so dynamic and it's so much fun and you're just vibing with it and it can work on both levels at once. Mm. I feel like we've just suddenly uncovered a lot of secrets on Film Fight Club as well today, not just from the Nest point of view, but like Glenn loves dancing. Glenn loves and, dancing. Yeah, we can't do it right now. It's, oh, it's a lot of, yeah. Trying to get a sense of why people don't respond to this film like we have, I... I feel maybe early on you could see it as a little bit unfocused but i feel like it all comes together at the end you know just in terms of the i think the it, just, it, take, it takes its time to set it up but it's just yeah. burn anyway so exactly it's not an issue for me yeah but early on i was thinking okay so we're seeing the kids doing that the mom's doing this the dad's doing this this is, how is this all but it came together satisfyingly enough i, I wonder if this is just that this is a little bit of an open-ended film it's it's not spoon feeding you Great ending, great final scene to that effect. Yeah. Um, this bothered me around the act, but it end of the first act, or what at least felt like the at least time in the film where the film first end of the first act should yeah, be. Yeah, that's where I was feeling it too. And I'm thinking, what is this film about? Yeah. What is going on? And then when I got into the rhythm, but I'm willing to accept that a film will be seen in and out of its time. I'm willing to accept that it doesn't have to form form to typical act structure or typical genre structure. And once I got my head around that. I'm fine and I went with the flow. And I think the film asks you, a lot of films ask you to accept um, the basis of, of storytelling and this did, and I was fine too. Yeah, I, I think uh, the critical reception is essentially, uh, it's the, when it subverts expectations, uh, it, it walks a fine line because you know you kind of expect the film to do something which you already are familiar with, which can be boring, but at the same time, you know your beats, and when the film doesn't follow that, sometimes it can just unsettle you, and you think the film doesn't know what it's doing, whereas the film knows what it's doing. It's just you who needs to have a different context to what you brought it's, to the film initially. It's not the, it's not the film. It's you. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, it's, no, it's, but, um, it's your fault. It's your fault. <laughs> um, I think um, people struggle a lot with ambiguity these days. There's not much no, yeah, that, that's a fair point. subtlety yeah. in American cinema right now at all, and extremely unsubtle films tend just, to be overpraised. And just the zeitgeist of the, the world is like, yeah, yeah, know, yeah. You know, we just want everything to be spoon-fed to us. It's the Trump on, era. We want on, some sledgehammer attacks. Or, or just, you it's know... It's okay for film to evolve. Exactly. Mm. And, and even then, if you want any kind of political narrative and any kind of commentary, it needs to be, you know, pretty much in your face. You can't just... You can't miss it. So... It films become activism, and activism become film, and it's just you know it's it's fine, but it's boring. And 
I and speaking to the modern era, I love that this drew a distinction between status and success in life. We see characters alternately pursuing one or both, and I think getting them confused and conflated. Um, I obviously it's a very it's endemic to many British films the idea that oh um, this this uh, great expectations idea that you can't rise beyond your station, which is something antithetical to American narratives mm-hmm. and the broader American zeitgeist, and that clash that conflict plays out here really well i also like how jude law brings a very very american um mergers and acquisitions corporate yeah. mindset to this british I mean, I mean, old-fashioned firm who think hold on what yeah. are you what's all this the fastness like it has to be now it yeah. has, to be, has to happen um what's 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 wrong with you like they're bringing a lot of wall street imagery and iconography when yeah. they write his it's character just, it's essentially well one could read that as a you know clash between capitalism and kind of traditionalism in that sense about or different the, different takes on uh, capitalism but, more, but extreme capitalism versus yeah. something that's more considered yeah. and well managed but it also yes. captures a point in england's transformation and certainly england is a lot more like america today yeah. than it was 30 40 years ago when this film was set importantly this is um pre the major deregulation happened during the Thatcher era when, uh, and we, as they talk about in the film, companies will get swallowed up, some will thrive, some will die. Mm. And it captures the moment right before then. It captures this tension in England. And while we see Law's character being uh, a tragic figure in many respects, he's also not wrong, which is what makes the yeah. film. He's, he's, yeah. he's, he's pragmatic. He may be wrong, but it, again, yeah, yeah. you're so, talking to the tension in this movie. It's, it's, it's great. He's, he's not trying to be Gordon Gecko, basically. But yeah, but the thing is, I think the, the beautiful part about the film is it's not trying to be one thing at all times. It can be, there's so many takeaways that we just have talked about. This film is not just about one thing. It's a character drama. It's a political drama. It's about two countries and their respective ways of being. It's ideologically challenging. It's also gothic. It's it's a lot of things, which is great. You know, it's not just trying to be one thing every time and the as a small point on this film the matter of how death is handled it's death iconography there's a death that is depicted in the movie and you see in a lot of films how it's handled in a very over-the-top way or it's handled in a way that is um trying to be overly dramatic i think this had a scene and so a few characters reactions to this which just felt, felt very natural. realistic felt the, natural the family dynamics in this are uh very multi-layered. We can see how, you know, a lot of the times people can hate each other and still feel love for each other. You know, yeah. it, it didn't dumb down people's emotional interiority for a film which is, you know, kind of cold in its approach and, and very much focused on the surfaces. It's still digging a lot below uh, the subconscious of, of, of all of the characters, actually. And we find ourselves, I think the character I most misjudge, I think it's the character we have the least exposure to, is the daughter and how yeah, she yeah. Uh, perceives the life around her, her parents. And I had a, had a bit of a, oh, wait, no, that's where she's coming from. I understand this. Um, I think the son, Charlie Shotwell, actually had the most challenging role in that he had the most screen time versus the least amount of dialogue, but he managed to evince a lot with that. Mm. Um, He's great. I mean, I'm just like, I don't know how you can do that. It's uh, There's some moments of pure jealousy that, that were there. I'm just like, you're way too good. Child actors are so good these days. Remember, you, you watch films from 30 years back and kids are always embarrassing. Today, kids are always good. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's I, I think around like Haley Joel Osment after him everything changed child actors just <laughs> that started becoming demand they, for ac- actually great acting they grew up <laughs> well <laughs> I, I, I would argue the trend started earlier with the piano but well yeah there had been great child actors before then but uh, but pre the sixth sense and AI that, I saw yeah, a lot of horrible scale. horrible child acting so yeah. and just the scene I loved the dining scene later in the movie between a few couples that's it something we haven't mentioned is that um Despite, as I, we keep saying, it being a quite a dark and heavy film, there's a lot of humor. Yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty sarcastic. The yeah, film, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. dry, very dry, very British. Yes, the, the dryness of yeah. people sniping at each other and um, <laughs> the struggle to uphold social conventions versus the willful desire to rip them down. There, there's inherent comedy in that. Yeah. 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 I wonder, um, the director, he's American. He is American. He's yeah. American. It feels like... It's, it's hard to pinpoint England, though. It, it's hard to you can't pinpoint. This is not an American or British film. It's both. Yeah, and it's funded by partly by BBC. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that's, it was at the British Film Festival as well. So mm. yeah, no, of course. So that is the Nest. It is in cinemas now. Go see it. It's yeah, bloody I good. recommend it. Yeah, it's a it's, film. It, it's it's wonderful. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a detox from all the horrible bunch of films. good films out right now. Yeah, we're doing well. I was having Another round, Minari, this one. I was having a wonderful conversation in um. Uh, Susie Q yesterday about another round. All these folks who'd seen it and absolutely loved it, and others are trying to find out where to find it, and it's it's beautiful. So that is uh, the nest. It is in cinemas now. The J- Japanese Film Festival screening the Ancient New South Wales. The one car wide retrospective includes behalf the Sydney Film Festival's Mario Dendi. Queer screen of all tickets available is, is starting from tomorrow night as is fresh flicks one-off. Kino Sydney, you can f- get your flicks in as you can, Philharmonic. Moonlight Cinema, Westpac Open Air and Sun Cinema North Sydney are all happening. The Jewish International Film Festival is happening as of tomorrow night. And yeah. Um, and reach out to us for your digital pass. Yes. And or just also if you want us to fight about anything particular, or want us to have a fight about an actor or a director or a movie or anything else, um, pop by Film Club because they're a lot of fun and say hi to Ian and the crew. Minari is in cinemas now. Also real good. We're doing well with the latest film run. It's, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm back in the mood for movies. Yeah, Russell in the mood for love five times the past week. So <laughs> happy, happy Valentine's Day, everyone. So this yeah. has been Glenn Fung, St. Chris Evans, Varun Nehru. Have a wonderful night. Stay safe and enjoy movies. Good night. Bye, guys. Bye.